Well, as we move boldly into 2020, as we reflect upon the year that was past and look with expectation for the year that's ahead, today what we're going to do is we're going to have one eye on Christmas, just days ago, where we remember Christ's first coming. And now, one eye at his second coming, his second advent. And at his second coming, we will see that the first coming was a picture, was a foreshadow of how in the same way God sent his son Christ out of love for you and love for me from heaven to earth. When we come to the Revelation chapter 21, we see how that's a picture and a foreshadow of how God one day and one day soon will literally bring heaven to earth forever. Isn't that what makes Christmas so special? Isn't that part of what makes the Christmas season? I mean, besides all the traditions and all the festivities and all the sentimentalities, our hope is that we believe in a God who is, but also a God who is love. And out of love for his children, his people in this world, he left his kingdom, his heavenly throne, and entered into our muck and our mire and our mess. Part of what makes Christmas so potent is to think that heaven has intersected with earth, that heaven isn't negligent to the pain and the trials, but also heaven isn't oblivious to the injustice and to the sin. What we celebrate about Christmas reminds us that we long for a better home. Ever since that relationship was severed in the Garden of Eden, ever since after the rebellion of our first parents, that connection, that union, that relationship with the God who made us, and as Genesis 2 says, the God who would walk with us in the cool of the day. As soon as that was severed, everything has been contaminated by the cancer of sin. Everything. Not just our health, not just our hearts, not just our minds, and not just our hands, not just our relationships, and not just our work, not just all the discord and decay, pain and persecution, doubt and depression, sickness and sadness, those words in the new heavens and new earth won't even be part of our vocabulary, much less our experience. But now, that's our daily reality. So even the breath that we breathe, we don't understand, nor could we, how much every single atom of creation has been contaminated by sin. In the same way, the fish probably doesn't understand the water he's immersed in. We don't understand just how much sin has affected and infected everything. So the good news is, heaven has come to earth for you. And this is a two-part story. Christmas has a sequel. And it's not a sequel that you can go watch in a movie theater. It's a sequel that's revealed in Holy Scripture. So the first time when heaven came to earth, Jesus walked among us for 33 years. In this story, in this future reality, 
we will enjoy God's presence forever. When heaven first met with earth, Jesus came as a little, tender, fragile baby. When this happens, as we're going to hear in Revelation, Jesus does not come as a little, tender baby. Jesus does not come as a broken man on a cross. Jesus comes back as the risen, reigning king to establish justice and righteousness forever and ever. Hallelujah. In the same way, heaven met earth at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples, descended on the apostles up in that upper room, and now they were indwelt with the fire of the Holy Spirit. In another passage that talks about the new heavens and new earth, we will see that God will also send a fire, similar to Noah's flood, that will purge and cleanse everything in creation. Behold, our God is making all things new. The story that began... With God in Genesis 2 presenting Eve to her husband Adam will end with now God the Father presenting the church, his bride, to Jesus Christ, adorned and perfect and beautiful. The story that began in Genesis in a garden will end in Revelation in a city. The story that began in Genesis with a tree of life. The tree of life that is the source of our everlasting life. The tree of life that was cut off from our broken humanity because of Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. Because of Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. That tree of life, at the end of your Bible, is available to us again. So yes, when Christ came, he brought heaven to earth. But that's only part of the story. Let us not just think that all of our faith is behind us. No, what's coming is amazing. What is coming should fill us with joy and with gladness. We always say this, and this is not based on any worldly promise, right? Be careful how you say this, but it's still true. If you are a believer in Christ, your best days are always in front of you. And this doesn't mean because all of a sudden your career is going to get better, all of a sudden your health is going to get better, all of a sudden your life's going to get better. No. It could actually get worse. You're welcome. But because of the God who's with us, because of the Holy Spirit that resides in us, because of the joy that only Jesus can give, and because of this, friends, we never outgrow our need for our eternal home. While we should be a earthy people, meaning that we should be entering into the mess and entering into the muck of other people's lives so that we can usher in the light and the hope of the gospel. We should be salt and light. We should never ever think that to be a Christian is only about this life. Not only would that neglect dozens if not hundreds of scriptures but it would also lead to real despair and disappointment. I'm really excited. Everyone excited to see what our final home, our final destination will look like? Let's look at our Bible, shall we? Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. This is the revelation given to the Apostle Paul while he was on the prison island of Patmos. Revelation 21, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Let's pause right there. John is receiving a revelation. And what does that word revelation mean? It's an unveiling. And not just an unveiling. We have to understand this about this book. Revelation does reveal and unveil the times, the places, the people that will usher in not only the end, but this glorious new beginning. But in the end, Revelation is really about the glory of Christ. That's why in Revelation there's so much worship. And in several chapters, it's all about seeing Jesus, beholding Jesus, and giving Jesus all the glory, right? So when we praise Jesus in our problems and our trials now, that is when we can get a little bit of a taste of what's awaiting us then. What we see here is John receives a revelation, an unveiling of our final home. This is a new heavens and a new earth. But it's not the first time in your Bible that you've ever heard of it. This is not just the hope of Revelation. This is the hope of all of Scripture. In fact, when you go back to read, as was our call to worship this morning, go back to read the prophet Isaiah. And you just heard a lot from Isaiah, right? During Christmas, you heard Isaiah prophesied through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and his son, that son will be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You also heard from Isaiah that this child to be born, this son that was given, he will be called the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And of the reign of his government, there shall be no end. Did you know Isaiah not only prophesied, promised that the first coming of Christ would come, but then he also prophesied about his return. Isaiah 65, you don't have to turn there, just listen. For behold, this is the Lord speaking. I create new heavens and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad, be glad, church, be glad, and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, the Lord says, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Listen, friends, no more shall be heard in it, in this new Jerusalem. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the sound of distress. This was not only the hope of the Old Testament prophets, this was the hope of the New Testament apostles. If you are able, if you have your Bible open, keep your thumb on Revelation 21, and then I want you to flip several books to the left. They're all small books. Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and turn to the last word, the last testament of the Apostle Peter. This is the last thing. Peter, the one who Jesus called. Peter, the one who helped lead the early church. Peter, who Jesus said was a rock. Peter, who became a fisher of men. Peter, who the Lord performed miracles through and preached at Pentecost. Peter, this is his last word. Not only a word to the church then, but it is as relevant to the church today as it's ever been. Second Peter chapter 3. He starts out by reminding us not to overlook a fact, because we can overlook this fact too. First Peter chapter 3 verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. What church? Not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Like a what, church? And then the heavens will pass away like a, with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, 2 Peter 3. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amazing, is it not? Isn't God's word, isn't your Bible astounding? So the, even the early church kind of said, they looked at heaven, they looked around, they said, Lord, why tarry? How long, O Lord? They were waiting for Christ's return, even that generation. Peter reminds them un, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. But that might explain the quantitative weight but what is the quality? What is the uh, characteristic of God? Why is he waiting? So that more and more and more would come to know his son. More and more and more would come to believe and receive the gift of salvation. As it says here, not wishing that any should perish, but all that should re reach repentance. But that day will come, friends, even as he is waiting. That day will surely come in the same way the flood descended upon the people of Noah's generation. That day will come like a thief. And notice now, simultaneously, it's quiet like a thief, and then it roars like a lion. So we see both. That day will come. Remember now, we're, we're fresh off the heels of Christmas. In Isaiah, in Micah, in other passages in the Old Testament, God predicted and prophesied with exact precision the very city that Jesus would be born in, the kind of gifts that Jesus would get, the place that his visitors would come from, the massacre in Jerusalem, that God would come in the flesh, that he would be Emmanuel, and that a virgin would conceive. Listen, if God was able to prophesy with amazing, precise accuracy everything that happened in Christ's first coming, will he also do the same at his second? Yes. What you're about to hear will happen. But it's, wait, it's hard to wait, isn't it? Waiting is like one of the hardest things. Because as we wait, we get a little discouraged. Friends, listen. As we wait, we get a little distracted, right? He says, what kind of people ought you to be? Knowing that this is true. You're going to hear John say, under the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit, this is true and trustworthy. This is worthy of your trust because it's true. How should we live? How ought we to live? Knowing that God is going to send his cleansing fire to cleanse everything and that he is going to usher in a new heavens and new earth. So this helps correct kind of a pop culture understanding of heaven, does it not? Because we can have a pop culture understanding of heaven where we're kind of detached, ethereal spirits. We're all cute, adorable little babies floating on little clouds, playing harps. And I, you know me, I love little babies, right? I love kids. But that's not heaven. Heaven is God bringing heaven to earth, there will be service, there will be banquets, food and drink. You will have roles and responsibilities. He even says there will be kings and nations that come to Jerusalem. 
So it'll be more like probably the Garden of Eden was, more like the world was before the fall. This was Isaiah's hope. This was Peter's hope. This is John's hope. It's my prayer. It will be our hope as well. Let's look at verse 3. Flip back to Revelation 21. Back to Revelation 21. I love hearing the sound of Bible pages turning. It's like the sound of angels' wings. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, I'm in Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Let's pause right there. Gosh, maybe we should return to this verse over and over again. Maybe we should return to this verse every week, every day, throughout our day. Did you just hear this? If this is true, this changes everything. Did you just hear what the Bible said? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The former things that we call the current things will no longer be the real things when we are with God in his kingdom. So the good news is that God will dwell with his people. And this has been foreshadowed. This has been, uh, in a lot of ways, explained to us in smaller ways throughout Scripture. The same God who dwelt in the Old Testament tabernacle with Moses will now dwell totally with his people. The same God who dwelt in the Old Testament temple with Solomon will now dwell totally with his people. The same word that became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled amongst us in John 1.14, will now dwell totally with his people. The same spirit that dwelt in the disciples' hearts at Pentecost now will dwell totally with his people. Do you see the thread here? Do you see the theme? It's all leading up to this. It's all culminating in this. What was lost in the garden will, hallelujah, be regained. Our God's redeeming it. Our God's going to do it. He is the one that makes it all possible. Friends, let me ask you this question. I've asked it before. What makes heaven heavenly? Don't be afraid to say it. Jesus is always the right answer. Now, many of us look forward to heaven, right? Peace sounds awesome. The end of conflict. Death will be no more. Decay will be no more. Reuniting with lost loved ones. All beautiful, amazing. But what makes heaven heavenly? God himself. What is the supreme joy of heaven? God himself. Why will people deny and refuse the gift of salvation because of God himself. What do I mean by that? I mean that we shouldn't so think that people who will not turn from themselves, turn from their sin, turn from their idolatry, turn from their wickedness, turn from their depravity, here will all of a sudden want to be in God's kingdom there. God reigns in heaven. And you might think to yourself, 
Well, who would ever want to choose hell over heaven, right? And we know God works sovereignly in all this. But my point is simply this, is to say that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all people to come to repentance. So if people will not choose life now because they do not want to surrender and repent to this God in this life, then they're not in the next as well. When the common grace of this life washes away and all we're left with, as you'll see, is our depravity and our sin. No, it's almost like C.S. Lewis says. The gates of hell are locked from the inside. No, I'd rather suffer than reign or than to live under his reign in heaven. You might think to yourself, well, people will never do that. It could be happening right now. For a long time, I used to sit in the chair where you were sitting, and I used to think and wrestle and hear these words, hear these beautiful invitations, hear this somber realization that there's not only a heaven, there is a hell. And I would just say, yeah, I'm not, not today. I'm good. I want to reign in my life. Friends, when Peter says the Lord is patient, we should remember this. Never confuse God's patience with God's permission. What he has said, he will do. Today is the day of salvation. If we will not surrender now, why do you think in God's perfect presence, perfect light, perfect, holy, holy, holy kingdom, we want to surrender then? We see what makes heaven heavenly, and it's the presence of the Lord. Even King David saw this. He said in Psalm 16, verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So think of it this way. Heaven is where God's presence reigns and sin's power has been, hallelujah, eradicated. Let's continue our study here. Verse 5. Verse 5, Revelation 21. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, what does it say, church? It is done, exclamation point. Doesn't that sound familiar? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will, I will give from the spring of the water of life without what? Payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Here in this passage, we see Jesus is making all things new. What is the tool? What is the catalyst? How is he accomplishing this? Through the cross. It is not by accident that not only we see the bookends of Christmas and now the new heavens and new earth, also, we see the bookends of the cross and the new heavens and the new earth. What did Jesus, as he was crucified and nailed to the cross, proclaim? Oh, those three beautiful words. In the original Greek, it's actually just one, because it's so good. To tell us that. It is finished. Jesus has paid the price, the penalty, the totality of our sin, past, present, future, finally, and forever. We're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're covered in the righteousness of Christ. 
this is good news. So good that Jesus is even saying it at the end. He said at the cross, he's going to say it at the end. It is done. What's done? The work is done. The saving work is done. We have been justified. We have been redeemed. We have been adopted. Jesus has propitiated God's wrath. And now, here we see the church, his children, glorified. And in this new kingdom, death will no longer reign. Only God and his life will. Spurgeon put it like this. We are going to the land of the immortal, where graves are an unknown thing. Isn't that awesome? So in this new Jerusalem, there's going to be streets of gold. You know what you'll never see beside those streets of gold? A cemetery. It's good news. With all this hope, and I wish I could preach 14 messages on what you just heard. I wish we had 14 hours. Do we have 14 hours today? <laughs> but as much as this is a comfort to the afflicted, we are reminded of the reality of hell. And yes, the Bible comforts the afflicted. Sometimes it also afflicts the comfortable. Verse 8. Let us hear this and receive it. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We need to remember that we're part of a culture, right? And in our culture, a lot of people will say, well, if God is good, how could he let anyone go to hell? The real question, friends, is if God is good, why would he ever let anybody in heaven? Meaning that if God is perfectly good, perfectly good, then in our sin we cannot exist, coexist, have relationship and union with that God. We need to be saved by God, for God. God needed to enter in to our not only world, but take our sin, pay the price, pay the penalty. And that's why all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, I mean just dozens and dozens of foreshadows of the cross come to fruition. And that is our only hope. Because in the end, all that will be standing before us, if it's not Christ, if it's not Jesus saying, his name, her name is written in the book of the Lamb. She is, he is my son and my daughter. I have paid for his or her sin. Then what will be standing, not only standing, what will be condemning is all the lies, all the cowardice, all the idolatry, all the sexual immorality. I mean, think of it. How many times do we not live up to God's law, not only in one year, not only in one month, not only one week, we don't even live up to God's law in one day. Friends, we are ravaged with guilt because we don't even live up to our own law. Why do we think that all we would have to do to go to heaven is to die? You know, in other cultures, they don't struggle with God's wrath and justice. In other cultures, they struggle with God's grace. They struggle with the simple truth that because Jesus died for us, all we need to do is believe, repent, be born again, be saved, and then, yes, there's everlasting life waiting for us. Other cultures that are high honor cultures would say that is more offensive than hell. 
We have to realize we're part of an entitlement culture. We're, t- we're part of a culture that says you can live however you want. You didn't create the universe. You didn't create yourself, but you get to make your own rules. It's the only place you're going to hear this message. The Bible is the only place you're going to hear this message. And I hope you're hearing it. As Jesus said, I hope you have ears to hear. So, Thomas Watson put it like this. Eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. Meaning that if you believe in Christ Jesus, this is as bad as your life is ever going to get. If you refuse. If you will not. If you live a life of rebellion and pride. This is as good as your life will ever get. So knowing this, Peter says, what kind of lives ought we to live? What conclusion can clear up confusion and properly align our expectations? Here it is. Friends, there's a heaven, and this ain't it. Man, I love Jersey. I love this country, but we were made for something better. Have you ever wondered why? I mean, think of it. If we were just a random cosmic accident, if everything just happened by chance, and we're all just the product of random, unguided evolutionary processes, why do we even care? Why do we even think that life should be better? Why do we get upset when it's not? Because we were made for something better. Because we were made, our first parents, in paradise, and our hearts, God has put eternity in our hearts, and we long for his perfect kingdom. We long for that perfect king. So this is not heaven. we got to come back to that every day. This is not heaven. Something better is waiting for us. We have a short time. The Bible says this life is like a mist. It's like a vapor. Tomorrow's not guaranteed to you. So how do we live today? Knowing that heaven awaits us. Knowing that hell awaits many. The temptation of our culture and of heresy will always be the exaltation of man and the world. And there's a lot of different ways that plays itself out. So, while we should work as kingdom ambassadors proclaiming the good news, while we are exiles in a foreign land working for the good of the city we're in, while we strive to be salt and light in a world filled with darkness and decay, we are to never, ever, ever forget our eternal hope and home. Our relationships, friends, will not be perfect in this life, nor will they last forever. Your marriage will not be perfect in this life, nor will it last forever. Your family will not be perfect in this life, nor will it last forever. Your health will not be perfect in this life, nor will it last forever. Your job, your career will not be perfect in this life, nor will it last forever. Our nation will not be perfect in this life, nor will it last forever. Our practical joys and pleasures will not be perfect in this life. And what? Will not last forever. You know what will? God's word and God's people. You are an eternal soul. Do you know where you're going? We can have assurance of salvation because of Christ. Because of what he said in his word. So here's the good news. Even though those things aren't perfect and will not last forever, our pain, our pain will not last forever either. Amen? Amen. 
Our fear will not last forever either. Amen? Our sadness will not last forever. Amen? Our mourning will be turned into dancing. Our tears will be wiped away. Our faith in Christ will prove vindicated and victorious. Come on. I got no voice, but I'm still excited. You know why I'm most excited? I'll try not to cry. My little boy, Joshua. Right? His eye's never going to be the same. I mean, I, I believe in miracles. Praying for miracles. Pray with me for miracles. Amen. If his eye is never the same, I mourn that eye. I mourn his life and what it could have been. But when we believe this, I'm praying for 80 more years for that boy, 90 more years for that boy of healthy living, good sight. But when we believe this, even if the eye is not restored, I think of the day. My baby Joshua opens that eye. And with that eye, the first thing he sees is Jesus Christ. Good news. So let's work, let's love, let's spread the gospel. Let us not get acclimated or assimilated to the culture. Let us work hard. Let's pray for miracles. But this is our home. The new heavens, new earth, that's our hope. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit that attends the reading of your word. The spirit that applies the proclamation of your gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you take this word by your spirit and embed it deep in our hearts now. So much so that if there is doubt, you would grant faith. Where there is sin, you would reveal forgiveness. Where there is complacency, God. And Lord, I ask for repentance in my own heart. May we, Colts Neck Community Church, realize the beauty of our home, but the reality that many of our loved ones won't be there. So we trust you, God, as sovereign. But we also work daily to share the gospel, to weep over those that don't know and those that refuse to know. Make us a people of prayer, God. Redeem the days, for as your Bible says, the days are wicked. If there's someone here this morning that needs to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that understands full well that if I refuse to surrender and believe now, what makes me think I'm going to want to do it anytime or even then? Would you believe? Would you receive this gift? Jesus just said it is done. You don't have to earn it. Jesus said he's going to give you this living spring of water without payment. Why? Because he already paid it. Turn from the lying. Turn from the sexual immorality. Turn from the sorcery and the cowardice and the idolatry. 
and return to a father who loves you. If that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you to say a prayer. What matters most is God's Holy Spirit working in your heart and your heart's desire to truly want what is said in the prayer. If this is you, though, just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, please reveal your love in my heart today. This world is broken and so am I. I need hope, God. I need you, God. Please forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my pride. I humbly come to you in need of grace. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. And help me. Help me to trust you and to follow your son, Jesus. In his good name we pray. Amen.